Oh man, this is super uncomfortable. Thank you, yeah. Mona, for this one. <laughs> everyone and welcome to the Irenicast. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of faith and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. Hey, I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thank you so much for joining us this week. This week we are going to discuss evolution. Um, but before that, let's uh, check in with our hosts and find out how everyone's doing. How is everyone doing? <laughs> Not so good, guys. Yeah, had a breakup yesterday. So Ouch. sorry. Yeah, thanks. But, you know, I'm nursing a bottle of whiskey and I've been singing the song Turn Around at the top of my lungs, which is making me feel better. So I think I'll survive. <laughs> Turn around, bright eyes. Have you guys seen that video where the lady sings this song in like 20 different voices of female singers and it is unbelievably talented? I have seen that. It is pretty amazing. It's so good. Her Celine Dion, she's like, and I need you more than now. <laughs> <laughs> Those videos are a guilty pleasure of mine, watching people oh. do like their random impressions of people. Yeah. It's, it's really good. How about you, Alan? So uh, maybe you'll be proud of me. I, <laughs> in my sermon on Sunday, because I've been preaching at, at my church, um, the liturgy was going through Jesus cleansing the temple, and I used a spring cleaning joke in there. <laughs> what? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't, I don't like understand. Oh, okay. Why would so we? Why would we be proud of you? I know. I, I, I am super proud of myself. I thought it was really funny. Like Dude, spring pastors, cleaning. Man. Jesus cleans out the temple. You know what? To, to be completely honest, I heard that from my neighbor. <laughs> no, my neighbor heard that I was preaching. Um, and I, he doesn't go to church or anything, but he was like, "Oh, it's like spring cleaning," and I thought it was hilarious and put it in there, and everybody laughed. I don't know if it's out of compulsion or they really thought it was funny, but well, the first question was, is, what was the specific joke? No, it was just like. I, I forgot how it came up, but I was like introducing something. And then I said, in the spirit of spring cleaning, we come to the text where Jesus cleans out the temple. Oh, and <laughs> second question. What is the average age of your congregation? <laughs> See, I was going to, you age is I was going to remark something <laughs> like funny. this. I was going to, I was going to talk about that, but I didn't necessarily want to put my church on blast, but it's, it's probably in the seventies. <laughs> if I'm going to be completely honest. Ah, okay. So. Then that's hilarious, dude. That's good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I told that to my wife before I even used the joke. I was like, this is going to go over well, <laughs> specifically, specifically because of the demographic. Yes. People, yeah. Awesome. Well, then congratulations. I'm proud that you know your audience <laughs> you. well enough Thank to tell you. a joke like that. What what we need in this podcast is like a little sound effect of cheers because I'm putting my hands in the air and I feel like someone <laughs> should be clapping for me. Maybe in post we'll put in some. Just start singing yeah. Turnaround. See, now that song's going to be stuck in my head, Mona. Thank you no. so much. And you I know. spent years trying to get that song out of my head because I don't know if you remember, but we used to do that as a human video in our youth group. Oh, oh my God, we did that. I, what? Totally forgot. I have literally listened to that song a million times. It is. Yeah, it was. It was. A, I actually stole that human video. I made it Christian. I, I took it from a uh, anti-drug assembly at a high school. <laughs> wait, so isn't it like we had this girl? OK, so wait, I'm reaching deep into the recesses of my memory. We had this girl who was like, I don't need you parental figures and like stormed out the door in the song, the human video, which is like for those of you who aren't familiar with this. It's like That's a music, gonna video. Ask it's like a live music video. 
Okay, it's so like a live music video with humans. So you're like acting like this choreographed sequence to the song in person. Um, so anyway, yeah, so she storms out of the house like, I don't need you guys. And then she like, she sins a lot and then she comes back. So her turning around is repentance. Is that right, Jeff? Exactly. Yeah, and it was actually stolen because the initially it was the, the drugs would surround the girl when she left her parents and then her friends would come help pull her out of the circle of drugs. But then obviously because it's Christian, we had to change it. So Jesus saves her from the circle of sins. So we changed it from all the different specific drugs to like lust. What kind of and- sin were there again? Oh yeah. Okay. I, no, no joke, Mona. Uh, I think your sister sent me a picture on a text message the other day of my wife and her dressed up as <laughs> like the demons of whatever the ones that Jeff's talking about. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they did that exact human video. We did. And they but- owned it. They had like, black straps wrapped around their arms and of course you have to have like you know dreadlocks and stuff like that and black like makeup dark makeup that's, yeah, yeah that, everyone knows that's sinful right oh yeah that's, for sure that is the marker well that um, is that is the staple human video someone gets into sin and then jesus comes and breaks them out depending at the climax of the the, the song but the funny thing is is that my wife the first time she met my mom she was dressed up as the demon of sex no <laughs> wow <laughs> That's so good. Super Dude, proud of that. Maybe that has to be. do. Maybe that's why my mom didn't like my wife for, <laughs> for the first year. Or so I find She's that like, so weird because in my background, we did like did not do dramas or anything. Maybe like reenacted biblical moments or something. But it was not about like even videos. And you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Is is really being deprived of what you're talking about doesn't necessarily seem deprived. Well, so looking back on it, it's <laughs> looking back on it. It's pretty embarrassing. But at the time, it was actually it sure. was kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. I thought the choreography was rather graceful. You did a nice job with that, Jeff. Thank you. It's not not, not too shabby for something that I stole from someone else and throw Jesus in the middle. But isn't that like the Christian way? I think that's like everything. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did visit your, because you both went to the same church um, growing up or whatever. And I visited one time as this like outside non-charismatic person. And I, no joke, all I remember is something about leaving a legacy and people broke beer bottles over Jesus's head. That's all I remember. Oh yeah, oh, yeah I've seen that one. So yeah. that's what I'm thinking of when you guys are talking about this. Is uh, well, that that group that came school. through our church had like they had like lighting rigs and special effects. I think it there were pyrotechnics awesome. involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was. I mean, we did not have that kind of budget. <laughs> <laughs> we had like costumes, you know. But yeah. yeah, some of the pretty. some of the skits I used to write, I'm pretty pretty embarrassed of um but i'm sure we could spend a whole podcast talking about that maybe we'll do an episode we on will. christian entertainment and mm-hmm. youth groups yes yeah. oh yeah we got to do one on youth group right just talk yeah. about all the craziness of youth group yeah youth group all right well i think any other <laughs> any other items someone want anyone want to bring up before we move into our conversation no I take the silence to mean no, we're no. done. We're done. Talking I was going to start this. singing turn around, but I thought you would get mad. At me. <laughs> I will because it's going to be stuck in my head all day. I know it yeah. is. I'm just so excited Jeff, for this conversation that I can't think about anything else right now. That's but me. Jeff, every now and then we fall apart. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, what are we talking about today? Oh, today we are talking about evolution, which I think will be an interesting topic because I think we're all, especially Alan, you'll find is pretty passionate about this particular subject. Um, So we'll get right into it on the other side of the music. All right. So this week, uh, we are going to take a look at um, the subject of evolution. 
this subject in particular for me is um, it was kind of a, a catalyst for my progression in how I looked at the Bible and how I looked at um, the church and everything. Because for the longest time, it was what the Bible says is what is, you know, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And, um, and then eventually I had, a, I had a great Sunday school teacher that introduced me to theology and then introduced me to the idea that there were actually other theories that people had. Um, some of them were the gap theory, which is a fun, maybe we'll get into, uh, and then long days creation where it was a play off the, the Hebrew word of day that could mean age or whatever. So that was kind of the, this this like catalyst for me to kind of move into um, a different understanding on how to read the Bible and a different understanding on how to understand uh, the creation story in Genesis. So this subject in particular was 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 important. How about how about you two? Where where do you stand on this issue? I remember vividly as a kid, maybe eleven. We went to the Creation Science Institute. I think that's what it's called in San Diego with my folks. And then I brought literature that I got there back to my biology teacher because clearly he'd probably never heard of this before. And so just remembering a lot of feelings of being confused when he looked at the this literature and looked at me and looked at the literature and like got this really strange look on his face and I didn't really know what to make of it. For me, I, <laughs> I grew up, this was kind of the seas that I swam in, no pun intended. <laughs> um, I <laughs> seriously, I didn't mean that pun, but I, it was my life. I, um, watched videos of creation scientists and our church talked about it all the time. And when I went to my undergrad and got my bachelor's degree, I took a test at the very end of my program and could defend, um, the literal seven day creation from a literary standpoint, a scientific standpoint. And it was kind of a very, big makeup of my experience of God and the Bible and reality. Uh, when I transitioned away from those ways of reading the Bible and began to accept the science, evolutionary science and evolutionary biology, it was a really big deal for me. So this, this is something I find myself very passionate about. And obviously a lot of Christians, especially in the United States, are very passionate about this subject too. Uh, I recently read a Pew Forum poll on the different sects of Christianity and what they believed about evolution, it, it was pretty striking. I think most Christians in the United States, it came out, disagree with the theory of evolution. Oh, that's that's hmm. encouraging. I yeah. would have expected the opposite. Disagree with evolution. Wait. Oh, disagree like with evolution. I'm sorry. Yeah. Disagree. Okay. So like, uh, never mind. I'm not 40, encouraged. Like 42% of Catholics uh, disbelieve in evolution or whatever. 46 of Orthodox percent of Orthodox Christians. What is that? 76% of evangelical Protestants disbelieve evolution and evolutionary science. They, they think that there is something wow. fundamentally flawed with the scientists who work in um, evolutionary biology. So hmm. there's, so, there's a, it's a really big 76. topic. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wait, didn't Pope Francis just come out in favor of evolution, like within recent months, right? I do not know. I think he did. It made news. It made national, international news, which is super interesting. That would hmm. be big news because only a slim majority of Catholics um, believe evolution's a, a, a viable option. So that's. Hmm. Well, maybe we should stop right there and, and, uh, Alan, you're probably best suited to answer this question. But um, what when we talk about evolution, what specifically 
are we talking about? I mean, obviously it's linked into the creation, but let's, let's start with like a working definition of what we talk about when we're talking about evolution. Sure. Okay. So evolution is the theory on large scale that all of life came from one place on earth, um, that all of life is related because all of life has DNA and it's very similar. And through the processes of chance and adaptation, organisms changed over time and evolved to include all the different type of life that we see on earth. And I, I know for Christians, this presents a problem because it is a striking comparison to what many Christians believe. And that is God created the earth and the earth was good and there was no evil. And that was created in seven days. And because of a fall, um, we see all of the evil that we have in the world today. So on the one hand, you have many scientists saying life looks evolved. The world looks old. Everything that, that, that they're seeing tells them this. And that means for millions of years, you have death and the processes of chance um, creating life. And then on the other side, you have Christians saying, well, that's not how it happened. God created the world good. It was created not that long ago, like 10,000 years ago. Of course, there are some people who fall along that spectrum between a strict evolutionary perspective and a strict seven-day young earth creation perspective. There's a whole bunch of options along that spectrum, but they are two fundamentally opposed ideas of how life came to be the way that it is on our planet. Okay. So, so th there are theistic evolutionists, right? I mean, yes. clearly Cl plenty of theistic evolutionists, meaning like you believe in God, but you also believe evolution is possible. But for a lot of people, if I understand this issue correctly, or at least in my circles, it's like the idea that God would cause humans to come from monkeys is very threatening because it threatens the idea that we have like a, an eternal soul or something sacred mm -hmm. about us. Like if we like, because they, they separate humans from other animals as being like, especially favored in God's eyes. Right. So it's like, it feels like a very theological threat to a lot of people. Yeah. And just to be clear, theistic evolution is actually the idea that God helped the process along a little bit. Um, there's a lot of Christians and people who believe God created the universe like 13 billion years ago that don't believe in theistic evolution. They believe, you know, that chance played an integral role in bringing about the life forms that we have. Theistic evolution yeah, would God be that God. Chance, it's still theistic. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, but, but, but ju just to be like really clear, I, I believe maybe I'm wrong that theistic evolution is God stepped in at certain moments in the evolutionary process to create that like other, the, the human being, which is like this categorical, mm. categorical difference because God played with the dice, rigged the dice or whatever. Um, and that's very different than like a Christian who believes in, you know, evolution as scientific scientists speak of evolution. So that's, that's theistic evolution, but you're, you're totally right. Uh, this is a problem because it breaks down this notion that human beings are categorically different from the rest of the universe. Scientists would see human beings as being very connected to the life on the planet, especially because our DNA is very similar as we are. We are a part of the universe that is um, we're less able to distinguish between humans and animals. And then on the other side of it, you know, especially medieval Christianity and, and ancient <laughs> ancient religion, especially would see humans as this like step between animals and angels or some sort of divinity. So that's it's an entirely different category. And you don't get that with evolution, at least without a lot of work. Well, and I think equally an issue for people is the the biblical side of it is mm -hmm. that 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 mentality or that thought that the Bible has the answer for everything. Uh, and that everything is subject to whatever the Bible says. And what I have come to 
grasp or hold on to is that it, reading it in a way that's literal, especially those first two chapters of Genesis, is really taken away from what the intention of those texts were. It is, it is, mm-hmm. it's not a textbook on how the world was created. It's a lesson on how God feels about humanity and how humanity is in relation to God and 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 the value of humanity in of themselves, being in I, the image I, of God. Yeah, actually, I would say the story gets way more interesting than that from a historical perspective, um, because the there are two Genesis creation accounts, and mm-hmm. arguably they were shaped and finalized in their final form in uh, during the Babylonian exile. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. remember, like you know, when, when the first temple was destroyed and Babylon took all these Jewish captives to Babylon. Uh, to the center of Babylon. What was the city? <laughs> the city? I'm forgetting in my history here. Babylon. Um, <laughs> Babylon, the Babylon. Was, yeah. They took people to Babylon. And what happened was there, these, these people encountered much older creation myths. Because mm-hmm. the Genesis story mirrors like many, many older yeah. um, myths of creation. And so what most scholars think happened is that in order to preserve Jewish identity during the exile, where they had arguably been like psychologically decimated of, of taking, you know, the entire people apart and, and destroying their capital, um, the Israelites were trying to establish and maintain their identity. And so they actually took these existing stories and wrote them in terms of their God, Yahweh, and taught them to their children as a way to preserve, which I think is, that to me is so much more interesting to see, like how these stories were crafted in such a way that preserves how they saw God and what they viewed were the most important elements that they needed to hang on to when they're in a foreign place. Yeah. You know? I mean, essentially they used um, shaky to describe it this way, but it's essentially satires. They took something that was common knowledge to everything. And then they, they crafted it in such a way that, that gave their people a specific identity on how they view God and how they viewed the world and everything around them. I think the word you're looking for is maybe polemic, uh, not just satire, like, Something that is challenging, you know, another telling of history or whatever. Um, yeah. What you're saying, Mona, is, is a really important point that people need to take away. All of the Old Testament that we have has been put through the process of the leaving of Israel, being in exile, and then being in this other nation and then coming back. So the things that we have have been put through this filter have been um, affected by time in exile. It is important to remember for Christians, any Christians that are listening to this podcast, that even before Israel was a nation, there was thousands of years of civilization, people rising to power, creating these cultures and falling and having these ideas about what the world look like before Israel even stepped on the scene, before they could sit down their tradition, before that could be taken up, moved to a different place and then re-recorded. Like there was all of this history before them. It's not as if God created the world and then you have the Old Testament. The Old Testament is an ancient document that was written within an ancient culture surrounded by cultures that existed before them and during the same time. So when we see stories that look very similar to the Genesis account, you understand the meaning of Genesis when you look at how ancient stories operated. So for me, the the problem comes in with Christians, especially recently with Protestants, saying that evolution can't be right because the Bible says the earth was created in seven days, no longer treats these stories as ancient stories, no longer treats them as ancient literature, but takes them into something that we would expect from someone's, you know, textbook, like you said, Jeff, of science today. So respecting them as ancient documents is not only like something we should do to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with the text, but like Christians, if, if your whole world is going to fall because 
these are ancient texts and they act like ancient texts, like that's a failure to believe that God can use the medium of literature 2000 years ago. You guys get, you guys get what I'm saying? If you don't well, have faith that God can work through that, you're going to reject that and say, oh, it has to be 100% true. You know, there has to be created in seven days or none of it matters. And like that kind of like black and white perspective fails to believe that God can use human culture to teach things about God. You know yeah. I mean? And I think you also have to look at how other biblical texts use those texts. Like for example, Paul, when he's talking about Adam, he's using it in a really allegorical typological way that is mm-hmm. absolutely non-literal. Like even other biblical um, writers and speakers did not regard these texts as like a literal sort of scientific conception. And so I think we also have to pay attention to that, like how the Bible talks about itself. So, but wait, I, so, okay. Before so before you move yeah. on from that, I was taught yeah. in my undergrad that because Jesus talked about Genesis, because Paul talked about Genesis and built arguments off of them, therefore the, the things in Genesis of um, Adam and Eve have to be literally true or else their arguments aren't valid. Like that's what okay, we were taught. Yeah, but the sense of literal and historical mm-hmm. that we have today because of modernity, because of um, science it being what it is, like we we can't comprehend what it was like for people back then to think about things in terms of like you didn't have you didn't have TVs, you didn't have voice recorders, you didn't have cameras. Like there was actually no way to act to capture history as it were. Mm-hmm. Like even some of the most famous historians of like early Judaism, Josephus, for example, who is a first century. Um, guy who hung out with like the Romans and the Jews and he's got a really interesting story but like he was a famous famous historian and taken as gospel by a lot of people but like Mm -hmm. for example he would write about events in first person that he was not actually there but it was taken as historically accurate in that time because that's a that's the best you could get is just oral history you know and we're imposing our view of how we tell history which is fairly mm -hmm. recent the idea of chronology and specific dates and we're imposing Mm -hmm. that view of history onto how history was told before that which was more um, allegory, like here's what we learned from this lesson, or here's what we learned from this era of history and formatting a narrative that highlighted essentially the lessons of that era, as opposed mm-hmm. to like the specific things that happen because the specific things don't tell a story. They just are facts. And that that's kind of dead. So yeah. I, I think this is an important point that needs to be made before we go any further is that there are a lot of Christians who will not consider evolution if it destroys their faith in the Bible. And I would like to invite them to invite all the Christians that, that, that believe that way to really think about the fact that if evolution is true and if Genesis is an ancient document that that does not act like a science book, that does not threaten who God is. That may threaten our ideas of the Bible, our ideas of God. But like, is it possible, consider it possible that God might use ancient literature to speak to humanity? That God would use the language of the people to speak to the people and teach truth, however you want to you know, define that. And once you start there, it's almost inescapable to end up, in my opinion, obviously not everyone's. But once you start there, it's almost inescapable to end up accepting evolution because of the science and because of biblical study and, and all those other things. But if you don't have that piece first, you're never going to end up looking at these things in an open minded manner. There are no, in my knowledge, there are no scientists questioning evolution because they see like, oh, this whole thing is wrong. There are some fundamental errors in the science of evolution. So therefore we have to question all of it. You have no, scientists, the best we can. We, you have scientists the best we can. who are yeah. committed to creationism or young earth creationism questioning evolution because they have to. Do you get what I'm saying? It's yeah. not like, well, and a good scientist anyway, isn't going to 
settle on anything because the, the whole point of a scientist is you're always questioning, you're always moving forward, you're always you're never taking any um, anything for granted as far as what you believe and where you're at because you're always looking for something else to reveal something else. Yeah, and the sense. scientific me- method is incredibly threatening to a lot of people. And and it's threatening, like if you've heard your whole life that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and that, you know, the Genesis story like was probably part of like the revelation at Sinai and that this knowledge just dropped down straight from heaven into Moses's brain and he wrote it out. Like there's a lot theologically at stake if you built your faith structure around that idea that God gives that revelation directly, that through the mouth of one person that you can get actual scientific historical historical reality relayed to you. Um, there, uh, There's a lot theologically that falls apart. So I, I, I can really sympathize with why it feels so threatening for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there are really three avenues of conversation happening right now. And I think we should pick yeah. one and then like really dive into it. So you have the, what are the you, avenues? You, you, what are our choices? Theology. Theology is what you yeah. were just mentioning. Like there's mm-hmm. something theologically wrong with, with what you just talked about. And there are theological consequences of accepting evolution. Then there's the biblical route. We could actually really dig in and talk about the texts and talk about the ways that they differ or are similar to the ancient texts that came before them. And then there's the scientific route, talking about just some of the basic science that surrounds why we believe um, what we believe about evolution. So well, in I my think, mind, I wanna, those are the there's, a, there's a fourth one. There's mm-hmm. a fourth one, the political, the political history in the 20 for, the 20th century of why this is such a big deal for people. I don't know. Absolutely. That seems so, um, I don't know. You seem so concept driven. I'm, I'm thinking we're sitting here and Alan, you made some good points about how there's this large segment of Christianity that's making like a black or white. Like if this falls apart, then this falls apart and mm-hmm. everything's too interconnected. Um, but they're not going to listen to this podcast and be oh, wow, that makes so much sense. I'm going to totally change. I mean, it's it's a journey. I think it was a journey for all of us that yeah. incorporated the theological, the biblical, the political, all those kind of things. So maybe, exactly. I don't so know if I we want to start with just sharing out, kind though, of what, what our like, transition was. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where, yeah. how did you get from literal six days creation to wherever you are now? And what were some of the key points in that? Because I think that might be something okay. that we're more, you know what I mean? For me, I, I can, I actually have a, a shorter story on this, but okay. So I was in my geology class, my sophomore year at an evangelical college. So where a lot of conservative people are and like more moderate evangelicals. And my geology professor said, Hey, evolution is not crazy. Like there are Christians who believe in this. And I was like, what? I, I, so he said he had just gotten back from a convention for Christian geologists. There were like 400 people there. And he said out of 400 people, only like five professional expert geologists were creationists out of 400, like an insanely small number. And he said, he said, look, you know, technically the earth could have been created in seven days, but then God would have had to give a the earth, the appearance of a memory, just like God could have created us yesterday with the appearance of a, a lifetime of memories. And he said, it, it just, when it comes down to it, the earth itself has so much witness and so much testimony that it is just so old. You cannot ignore it if you are actually engaging in real science. So for me, it was like just the, just being given permission by someone I trusted to say, hey, I can be a Christian and hold science together and it doesn't have to fight you know? Yeah. And, and what you're, what you're talking about is a really good argument. Like the earth, the earth and the universe looks old and that causes a problem for, uh, people who believe in young earth creationism because like things like, uh, seeing a star explode in the sky, right. Seeing like a different galaxy, seeing a supernova, the light would have taken a long time. You know, what's really cool. There was a story that recently came out that the Hubble telescope has seen the same star explode four different times. 
there is a star. Whoa. There is a star, and it's it blew up nine billion years ago. Is our best estimate. Because light Hubble takes that long to travel at yes. the, such long distances, and because some of the light went through galaxies to get here, it was actually bended by bend bended by gravity. Bent? Yeah, bent. Thank you. Bent by gravity <laughs> and took longer to get here than some of the other light that left it originally. That's cool. So, so we've seen the same star explode four times. If the universe is 10,000 years old, literally that star never existed. And God created the light, actually four different pictures of the star exploding and sent that light to us, even though that star never existed. Yeah. So so. Basically, what you're saying is if the universe is 10,000 years old, that God has authored a reality that is deceptive, fundamentally deceptive, that we mm-hmm. cannot trust the science that we see around us. That to me is more troubling than a God who works in ancient storytelling and tells something about God's own self in the language of the people. Yeah. Right? And that, but even that the idea. Bible doesn't say that the universe is 10,000 years old. That's true. The well, Bible we- says in the beginning, the spirit, Ruach, breathed over, or breathed over the waters of chaos. Like there were art, there was already something in existence. So you can't, I, I don't think even if you're like a it very is, extreme literalist, you cannot hold that the, the universe is 10,000 years old. That's just it silly. is so hard for me to, to hear what you just said and not jump into like the biblical studies portion of like what exactly that means. The, the, the waters in the very beginning and God breathing over them. Maybe I'll do it anyway. So there, there was this, <laughs> <laughs> there was this, I mean, you uh, cut Jeff off again. This okay, is actually, this is actually me. Um, this is my story. How I ended up accepting evolution is really this right here. I studied the Pentateuch, the first books of the Bible in my master's degree program because my bachelor's degree was very conservative and did not, you know, very against evolution. When I started to study the Pentateuch in conjunction with the other ancient texts that were older than the Pentateuch, you saw things like in the beginning for the Babylonians at Enuma Elish, there was these chaotic waters. And you have the younger gods, like those are the two primordial gods. There, there's, you know, salt water and fresh water, and they're very chaotic. And then you have a younger god breathe, uh, kill one, breathe into the other and explode its body or whatever, and then create, you know, the the firmament above and the firmament below. Very similar language to Genesis. Is this um, the story of Tiamat? Yeah, Tiamat and Apsu. So like the idea that God breathed over the waters in Genesis is like a direct polemic against the Babylonian idea that there were these others, other gods. It's like in the beginning, mm. this, this Yahweh, this God, like over, over everyone probably doesn't say Yahweh, but God breathes over the waters like Marduk breathed into Tiamat and exploded Tiamat's body or whatever. God stilled the chaos in the very beginning. And that is addressing the Babylonian, Babylonian epic, um, Enuma Elish. And so like when you read that, you have to read it in the connection with the history around it, the older history that's around Genesis. And for me personally, when I realized that Genesis was this ancient document, that it didn't come in from a stork or whatever, just be handed down in some like divine fiat where like nothing else applies. When I realized it's very cultural and very human, it didn't cease to be the Bible for me. It just it ceased to be what I thought it was like. I had permission to accept evolution because that's not what the Bible was dealing with in the first place. That's my own personal story. Yeah. So for me, it was pretty similar in the sense that it was it was a little bit of combination of both where it started for me with that idea that you and Mona were talking about the whole idea of the age of the earth being deceptive. And uh, that was a person like that was the kind of 
a transition moment for me to be able to be open to the idea that the earth is old because I, you know, very black and white. And then that led to the idea of what you were talking about, Alan, where there's there's something deeper going on here in the text and the way the literature mm-hmm. is written. And and those those two things combined were really separate incidences for me that were like a, this progression into realizing it's it's not it's not important, you know, and then also celebrating every area of science and realizing that there's more yeah. that we can learn. And the, the Bible's intent was never to give us those lessons. You know, they're not, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing there that's going to tell us how to figure out how old something is or discover what a star does when it blows up or whatever. That's it's, it was, it was very important to have those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if anyone listening is really interested in what Alan was talking about the idea of, uh, the Enuma Elish or anything like that. But there's a, a great book called Understanding Genesis by Nahum Sarna, and it mm-hmm. really lays that stuff out beautifully. Um, I don't know, just throwing that out there. A classic text. Yeah, and it, <laughs> well, I think it, it brings another, a, a whole another dimension to that story to think about um, people in exile, again, like, saying like, no, we're rejecting all of these other visions of gods mm. in favor of our one God who will be faithful to us and who will never fail because who is, he's been with us since the beginning. That to me is like, it's such a more meaningful thing than trying to say, well, science and, you know, like it's, it's, to me, it's more meaningful even for a life of faith to see it in the context of exile and the enumelish, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So and it opens maybe, up more avenues both. to explore who God is. It doesn't feel like God or the things that you learn about God are confined to just this one text, but they are open-ended to everything in the universe. If I can play the devil's advocate, maybe you guys can respond. It's your to favorite. <laughs> My favorite. Um, there are some Christians and I used to be this way that are that were are worried if Genesis one through three, like you said, Mona, there's two different accounts and they're harmonized by a lot of Christians. If that's not literally historically true, where does the line stop for a lot of Christians? They say Mm. if the openings part of the Bible is just like a God inspired myth, why isn't all of it myth and why isn't all of it like non-historical? Okay, well, especially for origin stories. You really don't have eyewitnesses in anyone close to an eyewitness, right? I just, saw a meme. Has- I just saw a meme yesterday. I'm sorry, but they, they'll say yeah. there was an eyewitness and it was God. And so God <laughs> gave us Genesis telling well, and this is what people believe. God yeah, was the eyewitness yeah, yeah. and God gave it to us. But I mean, as far as authorship, like, I don't think you can say that you're going to judge that text of an origin myth against like people who are like one or two people removed from like the life of Jesus, even though that has its own set of difficulties and in interpretation. Mm. But you really like you're saying something that's thousands of years removed as opposed to like one or two people removed within the same generation. You know, so I, I think there is a line you don't have to say it's a slippery slope. Yeah. That's silly. That's and not to play point. devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. But when, <laughs> <laughs> when someone says that they never have, you know, cause the general answer would be, well, you have to, you have to take into account the literature when it was written, how, how history was told and all that kind of stuff and, and the cultural aspects of it. And then the, the response back would be, well, you, I'm not, I don't take the Bible culturally. It, it is what it is. But yet there are parts of the scripture that they would omit. And when you ask them, well, why aren't you taking that literally? And why aren't you following that? Like, you know, purity laws or whatever from the old Testament. And then they would say, well, that's just cultural. 
you know what I mean? So they, there's no uh-huh. framework on the other end on how they reconcile the things that they consider to be taken seriously and then the things that they don't take seriously. Yeah, there's no consistency there. Exactly. So so there's there's like a, a fundamental error, like what, what you're talking about, is that some people believe the Bible is clear and understandable and you could read it and apply it right now. Um, that's how God intended it to be. And then like on the other side of it, it's like language only makes sense when you understand what the language is referring to, what the history of the words are, like where, like the etymology, um, what the cultural significance was. So on the one hand, Christians want to preserve a Bible that is very easily understood. But on the other, it's like these sentences and words have this cultural meaning that no longer exists, right? Mm -hmm. It's not here. And to say that it's just super simple is to literally dismiss the world um, and the meaning of the words itself. So that I, I think that's, that's the problem. And you have to realize that like these texts were very meaningful for people in ways that they were not meaningful, that, that, that they're not meaningful for us. Understanding that being able to empathize with how these people received them is part of biblical interpretation that gets thrown out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then what bothers me the most is the, the real world now practical application of that, that idea of what's right and what's wrong. I mean, in the sense that, you know, a lot of people's response to the idea of evolution is where I'm going to take my kid out of a class that even teaches this. No like, joke. Yeah, we need to talk about education. That's a whole other animal. We need to talk no, about the consequences, the consequences yeah. of basing our view of the universe on an ancient perspective of the universe. That's well, we and not only that, but just the, 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 pure and simple taking someone away from any knowledge, even if you don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. The whole point of Christianity is to interact with the world with love. So how can you do that if you're eliminating a knowledge base from someone that something from something that someone believes? Mm-hmm. It's it seems so silly to me that we would just, oh well that's like if they learn about evolution, it's gonna lead them into the gates of hell or something. Yeah, but, but, but well there's Christians, a long history behind this. Yes. There's absolutely. a really interesting history, and that's very political history. This is what I want to talk about earlier. Can I jump in with this yes. one really quick? Okay. So why is it such a big deal to teach evolution in schools? You know, even if you're teaching it alongside creationism, there's a lot of debates around this, you know, because Christians love to say, well, evolution is just a theory, so it shouldn't be taught as fact. Okay, well, you have to look back at the history of the fundamentalist movement in the United States in like the 1920s and 30s, right? Mm -hmm. So the fundamentalists like prided themselves on like rejecting a lot of things about modernity and rejecting social gospel, those two things. So we're not using fundamentalism in like the sense of like today's fundamentalism, like ISIS, like jihadism. So we're not thinking about fundamentalism in the sense of like today, what we think of in a very pejorative sense in the way the media uses it. This is fundamentalists, people in the 20s who said, you know, we wanted to, basically we wanted to believe in like the turn of the century idea of progressivism and that Jesus has come um, to teach us to make our world a better place. So we're going to institute social social welfare programs and things like this. But then World War II want, uh, hit, or excuse me, World War I hit, 1914 to 1918. And people said, holy crap, people are not basically good. We have to go mm. back to the Bible. We have to hunk, we have to bunker down literally in our views. We, you know, science and industrialism are all scary. And, the, you know, that's not, you know, what Christians should be about. So 1925, the state of Tennessee passes something called uh, the Butler Law, Butler Act, the Butler Act, which made it unlawful to teach evolution in any state funded school. Guess what other institution was, uh, what institution was 
was brand new around this time, the ACLU was brand new. And the ACLU was actively looking for any teacher in Tennessee to stand up and say, hey, I believe in evolution so that they could take the case to the Supreme Court. So the ACLU is looking for, you know, the American Civil Liberties Union is looking for ground to stand on and to make, to set a precedent for why religion should not have a stranglehold on public education. We should actually have free speech and freedom of religion in our public education systems. So they found this random teacher named John Thomas Scopes, who didn't even remember, according to PBS.org, didn't even remember teaching evolution in his class. But he personally, (laughs) this is hilarious, right? Uh He personally believed in it. And so he said, sure, I will be the person. And so in Dayton, Tennessee, they started holding these trials and the ACLU publicly made a spectacle of it just to attract attention to their like growing organization. Scopes monkey the, trial, right? The Scopes monkey trial, 1925. Mm-hmm. And the Scopes trial, he was found guilty and fined $100. Um, but, over t- <laughs> but the verdict was overturned, you know? So eventually kind of set a precedent that no, like you cannot have a law that requires people to only teach biblical creationism in school. So like think of all the political things at stake in this, in this and, and all these warring people. Like there's the fundamentalist group who said, you know, we reject science and we reject scientific method. And then there's the modernist group who like a lot of ACLU people were Christians who were saying, no, science is in concord with God, like in, in concordance with God, like we can have both. And so this debate that we see now of like all these like evolution in schools, blah, that goes back so long. It's so old and it's very mm-hmm. political. So that's all the story I wanted to tell. Yeah, I don't know if we have time to put all that in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no. good. And the thing that's that's most astounding is the idea that if you limit knowledge, then you'll you know God better. It, it's so hard to to fathom that if you can't explore anything, and if you do, you're missing out on God, who's the cell, you know, creator of the universe. All the stuff that goes along with that. It's I don't know. I just don't get it. So, do you think there's such a thing as fake knowledge that like would lead us away from God, or do you think knowledge sure. eventually will fold back into itself? <laughs> Sorry. No. I, yeah. So I'm playing the devil's advocate now. Sure. Do you think there? Do you think all knowledge will eventually lead back to it can eventually lead back to faith, but that to me that seems like to undermine a lot of what a lot of my atheist friends who like do not are not led back to an idea of God, and I want to respect sure. those beliefs too. Like I don't want to mandate that everybody who thinks will be led to a concept of God. So at the very least, I think that if there is something, if there is human knowledge, and this is an entirely different conversation, but if there is human knowledge that corresponds to reality, this outside reality outside of ourselves, then that knowledge or that reality, that reality belongs to God. And so like whether a human being ends up like recognizing that or, you know, like if God exists, then reality is God's reality. So I think that we can affirm something, even if it doesn't lead someone to God, like the truth of it as Christians, because God is the sustainer of the universe. God is the creator of the universe in whatever respect that is like we can stand with other people and say, yeah, that truth like is true. And we do believe like that is a part of our faith because God is the God of everything, not just the God of our little bubble. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And on those lines, it reminds me of 
to me, the way I've heard creationism leveraged is like, well, people are the center of God's universe and therefore we have rights to take dominion over the world mm -hmm. and over other creatures and we don't have to be accountable for how we treat them because we are literally the most important. But if you really embrace evolution in any capacity, I think you have to say, well, we are so interconnected to the rest of the world that we can't just take a crap on it whenever we feel like it. So that's you the know? theological element that's at stake. I think there are two really important ones. One of them is um, human identity, anthropology, like what are human beings? If human beings yeah. are made in the image of God, which Christians historically have believed, what does that mean? And if evolution is true, how could human beings be made in the image of God? And there's a lot of theories out there. One of them is um, the like social image of God where our relationship, our, like our relational aspect of human beings that we relate to God is what, how we are made in God's image. Um, Christians are like, Christianity is historically, for the most part, Trinitarian. You know, God existed in this like plurality of persons in one unit for all of eternity. And like human beings being made in the image of God doesn't mean like we're different than animals. It just means that we have those kinds of relations. Like we relate to God. God relates to us just like this. And the theological term is perichoretic dance or whatever, just like God relates to God's own self in the Trinity. So I think there are other ways to think of the image of God, but for a lot of people, it threatens what they think human beings are. And, and, and that is that we are creative. We are like God in the sense that we are different than animals, but evolution breaks that down for the most part. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, at this point, there's so many layers to this issue, obviously. So like the purpose of our conversation is to start a conversation. So uh, hopefully we will hear from you about what you think or maybe some aspects that we might have missed. And uh, I'm sure at some point that this uh, subject can spawn off into a whole nother show, uh, depending spawn. upon the feedback. Yeah, but it shall if, evolve. If I could, if I could just um, put a little plug in, there is a four part series on the blog that I wrote a couple years ago um, that is called Love for the Bible Led Me to Evolution part one through three. And I go through the biblical study side, uh, script, so scripture, science, um, the consequences, stuff like that of evolution. And as some of the things that we talked about, it's not the whole conversation, but if you're interested, you could take a look at that on the blog. That'd be great. And we will definitely put uh, links to that in the show notes. If you're interested in that, uh, you know, don't always forget, don't forget to always check out our blog and see what's new, uh, on the site. So on the other side of the music, we'll, uh, wrap things up. All right, this week we are going to play a little game of Jesus Juke. Uh, this name, well, Alan, you explain where the name comes from and how we came up with this game. Sure. Um, John Acuff, or Acuff, I don't know how to say his name, is um, a blogger and Facebook user extraordinaire. And he came up with the idea that a lot of times you hear in public someone say something um, or someone does something and then a Christian takes that situation or that comment and then just like wings it toward Christianity, like steers a conversation toward Jesus. And he called it Jesus juking. Um, yeah. So what we're going to do is we're each of us have come up with a an item and mm -hmm. uh, the other two have to Jesus juke it, turn it into some kind of illustration or spiritualization of what that object can mean. And uh, then the host who picked the word gets to decide which one they like the best. So, um, yeah. Are we ready? Ready. Hopefully, hopefully this is not as irreverent <laughs> as I think it's going to be. <laughs> it could very well I, be. I, I want to apologize in advance yes. <laughs> for what I'm about to do. <laughs> 
Lord, forgive me. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, then, Mona, go ahead. Let's just pull the Band-Aid. Go ahead and do it first. <laughs> Guys, um, tell me about Viagra. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Alan, after you. Sure. Okay. So, um, just like there are so many men in the United States and around the world whose lives are lacking something. They just, they, they, they need, they have this hole that they can't fill. Wow. That's really not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> they have something inside of themselves that they need. They have certain needs that they can't fill or fulfill. And just like Viagra brings something new to their lives and gives them purpose and energy, Jesus can do the exact same thing for you. You take Jesus and for, you know, you, you pray, you speak with Jesus, you read the Bible. And for at least four hours, you're more connected to God than ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, this is super uncomfortable. Thank you, Mona, for this one. Mine is innocent by comparison. So. I, I can see our, our listeners just. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't even know if that's usable. Holy. No, it, it is. Yeah. We're, we're good to go. <laughs> okay. Okay. So my turn. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me. Uh, okay. <laughs> wow. All right. You, you know, you have those moments in your personal quiet time where you're praying and you just <laughs> feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the walls and they're, they're not reaching to where God is, but prayer when done correctly is like Viagra for your spiritual life. It causes your soul to rise to the occasion and <laughs> reach up and I don't, wow, that's, that's inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop right there and let, let Moda declare the winner. Not before I sing the famous song, you raise me up so I can. Wow. <laughs> I we have we have officially like destroyed at least half of my relationships. <laughs> Grandma, I am oh. so sorry. I love you. <laughs> Alan, I think idea. you got that one. I have to give it to Alan. Thank you. <laughs> cue cue the cheering. Here we go. Champion. Okay, well, I'm so sorry. my object, my object for you two <clears throat> is yeah. a little bit less scandalous, probably less fun too. Um, so thank you. It is a black and white striped sock like that you put on your foot okay in your shoe all right well since i made alan go first i'll go first on this one um a black and white striped sock channel channel that inner youth pastor and give us something oh man i i i have a feeling that i'm gonna lose every game (laughs) when it comes to this one (laughs) all right um okay in life, we face difficulties in our spiritual walk, and we will continue to face difficulties if we allow our life to become gray, if we allow ourselves to compromise, if we allow ourselves to not stand for the things that are important. So just like when you put on that black and white striped sock, think that in your walk that the world you're looking at is black and white and there's right and there's wrong and to follow Jesus correctly you need to always remember that and never ever walk in the gray nice very nice all right i got one so you know i live on the east coast where it's very cold and often i feel in my spirit that foot that that socks are kind of like prisons for my feet and i long to just romp in the the green hills of my homeland in my flippy floppies. And, you know, I just want to say that Jesus does not 
offer us bondage. You know, we, we do not need to put on the black and white striped sock of this world, but rather be barefooted and free. And at this point, I will have a sermon illustration where I light the sock on fire and throw it up in the air and it disappears. <laughs> Uh, if you throw fire in there, you're gonna win. That's totally cheating. I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna declare. I'm gonna declare the the winner to be Jeff because that that's a little bit cheap. Resorting to pyrotechnics doesn't quite do it for me. Thank so you. I agree. I'm gonna. I I want to live my life um very clear of who I am and and the gray is bad. So I'm definitely gonna go with Jeff. But you know your your flippy floppy illustration was really good. Yeah, I was actually inspired Up, to uplifted. go outside barefooted mm-hmm. and experience the world. <laughs> you guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you ready for my word? Hey, Mona, you're going to go first, so prepare yourself. I'm preparing myself. All does right, that, let's does that work out so that everyone goes first once? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at that. We're Mass. awesome. All right. Amazing. You ready? Okay. The word is tacos. <laughs> Oh, God. All I can think about is being in a sleepover with Alan's wife. And in the middle of the night, I thought everyone was sleeping. And all of a sudden, she was laying on her back. She put all four limbs up in the air and goes, look, I'm a taco. And it just falls (laughs) over to one side like dead fish. And I laughed for like half an hour because I was very sugar hyped and sleep deprived. But yeah. Oh, that reminds me of Vicky. Weird. She did that once. I had no idea where that came from. I thought it was like the most random thing ever. Wow. Oh yeah, I mean it was when That's I heard pretty awesome. it that was like back to sixth grade or something. Anyway. That is that is very much, <laughs> very much her. <laughs> it is. My sister is pretty impressive. <laughs> she is. All right, you know, in life you can fill your heart with a lot of things. You can fill your heart with like the lettuce of video games and the cheese <laughs> of friendships. But you can fill yourself with lots of things, you know, and, and really when Jesus comes along, Jesus just scoops out all of your taco fillings and replaces it with perfectly seasoned taco meat. And that is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I'm mixing my metaphors, but it doesn't even matter because I'm so compelling. <laughs> and, and then you can eat the Jesus taco with confidence, knowing that your soul is filled with goodness. It <laughs> was good. Alan. Jeff. I, I, I literally oh, feel like Alan. this is going to be very difficult. I yeah, this is <laughs> here we go. Um, so, you know how there are taco trucks and, and vendors, um, especially in L.A. There's there's this big craze lately about how there's these apps that tell people when um, food carts are around the corner or by their business. And it's one of the quick, quickest booming businesses these days. And uh, they're, they're just so attractive, especially taco carts. That, that's my personal favorite. But like you just get this hankering like for a taco when you see the picture on the side of the car and it looks so good and it's brought to your work and you just step out of your office and you go buy one like that service that bringing the taco to the people is exactly what we need to do in our Christians, Christian lives with the message of God. We should be making it look attractive. We should be developing apps and like calling people where they are at to come to the taco cart of our faith and taste and, and know that the Lord is good. <laughs> oh, my God. You are so good at this. <laughs> 
See, I, I, I know this might be controversial, but I'm gonna have to go with Mona on that one only because go. I think because that it works. The, the, I think that you, it was you did a great job if I said taco truck, but I said sure. the taco specifically. So that's you know, the that's my uh, only qualm. I don't want to win on a technicality no, no. though. Don't well, you just lost on a technicality, guys. so that's true. I did. So it just evens Vengeance. out. The universe. <laughs> oh, we're itself. all winners. All winners. Guys. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that's going to do it for us this week. And for those of you listening, that may have done it for you forever. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> please don't forget to support the podcast. You can rate, review, and sus- subscribe for, uh, to us uh, through iTunes or wherever else you might get your audio content. Uh, and check out our blog at irenacast.com. And as always, we want to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast, uh, email us at podcast at irenacast.com. Follow us on Twitter at irenacast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash ironicast. So uh, for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Oh, and I'm sorry. Before I forget, um, we want to, although we're a discussion based podcast, so, you know, we're not sitting here all the time and giving specific research for stuff. There is going to be time to time where something we say is probably way outside of the scope of actual research. So we just want to have the time where we give a couple. <laughs> Uh, corrections and uh, omissions, I guess. So uh, from our conversation on the Christian response to war, we did have a couple um, things that we wanted to clarify. So Mona and Alan, I believe you had a couple things. Yeah. So I said something like we have um, 200 military bases throughout the world. Um, Speculatively, there's actually closer to between 600 and 900 bases. And this is research based on politifact.com. Um, and that's the numbers from 2011. So, more realistically, we have uh, bases in 63 countries and about 600 bases, which is higher than what I originally said. But I just wanted to make sure we got some proper numbers in there. Similar mistake um, I made. I said, that the United States government replaced their jets with a better version to the tune of about $40 billion. It's actually $400 billion, (laughs) which is just a little bit different. Um, The good news is both the statements made by Mona and I were conservative estimates. So if we're going to make mistakes, we're going to hedge our bets. And um, (laughs) there you go. There you go. That's that's a very good point. So (laughs) in the future, we would love to hear from you. So, you know, uh, contact us up if you uh, have any corrections or omissions for us. And we will make sure that we do right by you. And until then, thanks for joining the conversation. 